Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Governor Ron DeSantis goes to war against school mask mandates. Members of Florida's congressional delegation are in the thick of things as the January 6th committee meetings kick off. And new information comes out in the criminal prosecution of former state Senator Frank Artiles. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns and Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy. But first... Music means it's time for some numbers. John, do you have a number today? Yeah, Zach, uh, my number this week is five. And, uh, you know, while I've been watching a lot of the Olympics this week, I'll at least give you the clue that my five has nothing to do with the five Olympic rings you see on the flags in Tokyo. Nice. Well, I, five wouldn't be a very high score in the Olympic gymnastics either. But <laughs> It's true. Um, Antonio, how about you? Yeah, I'm going for 43, but it is a sports reference. Okay, and my number is 52. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis has opened a new battle line in his war against COVID-19 restrictions. The governor has spent a lot of time bashing school mask mandates over the last week as school districts across Florida prepare to start the new school year. DeSantis even held another roundtable discussion with some hand-picked health professionals who are anti-mask. The governor is questioning the science around masking, even though experts say there's strong evidence masks prevent COVID-19 transmission in schools. This all comes as the CDC announced this week that masks should be mandatory in the school setting. John, I'm losing track of what round we're in in this ongoing saga of DeSantis versus health experts. Do you have a running tally of how often he's criticized health professionals? Yeah, that's a very good question. I know there's five five-minute rounds in a UFC championship fight, but this cage fight between DeSantis and the healthcare community seems to be in some kind of overtime right now. You um, you know, you remember last year he kept the beaches open when spring breakers were coming down over the advice of the health community. Then uh, he only uh, shut the state down for a a little more than a month in April 2020 when cases and hospitalizations were serving, uh, surging. But uh, at that time, you recall, experts were saying that Florida needed a much longer shutdown. Uh, Trump wanted states reopened faster, though, and uh, that's what DeSantis did. Uh, he, of course, he, he was against any kind of statewide mandate uh, for masks, uh, refused to uh, order that. And uh, schools, of course, he was proudly uh, talking about how they were back in at least some in-person classes last year when, uh, you know, the pandemic was still at its height. So DeSantis has uh, basically defied the experts. He's uh, boosting his resume with uh, conservative voters who are now positioning him as a favorite for the 2024 presidential presidential nomination. Uh, you know, parenthetically, of course, if uh, that's if Trump doesn't run again. Uh, but, you know, where are we? We're, we're, we're back as the, the nation's leading COVID hotspot, uh, topping uh, 10,000 cases a day. And uh, f- we have 48% of the population vaccinated, fully vaccinated. So that's below the national rate that's kind of nearing 50%, which itself is not really that great. Um, while uh, DeSantis is making money off the, uh, you know, don't Fauci my Florida merchandise on his website, he uh, had his own stable of scientists that he brings in. Uh, had him th- this week in, at the Capitol, uh, some scientists, some uh, parents, uh, uh, kind of hand-picked uh, panel, basically, that he had. Um, but when it comes to science, the guys that he kind of brings in are really more like sidekicks on a TV talk show, you know, 
like the Tonight Show and Late Night, where where they are there primarily to make the make the host look good, nod at what he says, and laugh at his jokes. Um, DeSantis rounded up that panel uh, on on Monday for a closed door session at the Capitol on masks at school, and they basically endorsed and embellished his theories about how masks were uncomfortable. Uh, one speaker called it child abuse. And uh, that basically they find data that shows that they don't really spread the uh, or don't really slow the spread of the virus and uh, that they can even cause psychological and academic problems for students. So there's a whole host of reasons that they were able to roll out there in their view uh, with some kind of uh, questionable, uh, you know, know, reports, uh, scientific reports behind it um, that seem to support the governor's political stance right now on COVID. Um, They also advanced the disputed idea that students aren't going to get sick from the virus and that they're not a threat to transmit the virus to family members at home. Now, now this huddle at the Capitol came just a day before the CDC released its tougher recommendations, uh, urging mask wearing for everyone in schools, just as these fights are being waged in school districts across the state, um, with DeSantis now seeming like he's willing to grudgingly go along with the mask optional policy. But um, really, it seems like in his heart, he doesn't want to have masks at all. Like so many things in this polarized political world right now, DeSantis has found alternate science uh, and people who will espouse it. Uh, The CDC was once highly respected, but it was damaged through its association with a director named by Trump and now under you know, new management. It's uh, coming out of that, but it's being disparaged by these former Trump acolytes like like DeSantis. Uh, there continues to be this disconnect. Uh, vaccines prevent COVID, but if you don't want the vaccine, as so many of his followers seem to, then you are at the risk of getting sick and transmitting the virus. Uh, that's the biggest disruptor right now to our state uh, when it comes to its schools, children, health, the economy, everything. And uh, it's it's really created this latest crisis that we're in right now, fueled by the Delta variant and uh, the drama that's now being grappled with by everyone else who uh, followed the real science and did indeed get vaccinated. Antonio, I understand the mask wars have been heating up uh, in South Florida, quite literally, in fact, with masks being burned outside a, a Broward County school board meeting. How's this issue uh, playing down there? Well, it's it's uh, going down like socialism in Little Havana. But <laughs> I tell you, you know, you mentioned the broader version of the Boston Tea Party with the mask burning, and that was all over the national news this week. And, and a week ago, we also had three Proud Boys show up at a Palm Beach County school board meeting where face coverings were to be discussed. Uh, the members of the militant far right group wore the shirts that said "Stand back and stand by," and it had a banner that said "Unmask the children." Uh, during the meeting, the, you know, anti-mask speakers railed against face coverings and championed personal freedoms, and then they booed and jeered speakers expressing concern about the Delta variant. And by the end of the gathering, the uh, Palm Beach County School Board members basically had made clear that they're going to stick with plans to go with voluntary face coverings to start the school year uh, next month. And then, uh, plus, they said three feet of space at three feet spacing at between desks will be optimal. They will ramp up efforts, they said, to improve air filtering in classes, uh, beginning with portable filters in clinics and, and elementary classrooms. Now, uh, the school board isn't the only institution down here that stops short of a mandate, however. 
even as a Delta variant of, is a continuous to pummel the state and, and fill up hospital beds, Palm Beach County Medical Centers are, have resisted calls to require their healthcare workers to be vaccinated. Look, that's no small setback for vaccination efforts. Just think if you are the f- relative or a friend of someone who works in a hospital and you ask that healthcare worker whether they are vaccinated and they say no, you know, what message does that send? A week ago, Jackson Memorial, arguably the biggest public hospital network in Florida, reported that more than 40% of its workers were not vaccinated. Now, here's the interesting thing, guys. Palm Beach County, Broward County, and Miami-Dade County are the big three blue counties in South Florida. So if mask and, vac- and vaccination mandates aren't flying here, they're not going to gain traction in deep red Florida either. So what may change people's minds? What I heard this week was business, the economy, and jobs. And one of those who spoke up this week was uh, the chief of chief tourism marketer for Palm Beach, Jorge Pesqueda, who's the CEO of Discover the Palm Beaches. And Pesqueda basically called on people to get vaccinated. And his argument is that tourism is bouncing back. Hotels are full. People are returning to normal lives. The only thing that can stop this comeback is the Delta variant. Here's what he told me. He said, look, if 99.5% of people going into hospitals are unvaccinated, what more proof do you need that it is a good bet that getting the vaccine is a better option than getting the COVID disease. Look, appeals to health and science have not worked. Uh, perhaps, like Pasquetta says, it's time to appeal to employment, pocketbooks, and household finances. And maybe when this becomes a jobs issue and hits people in the wallet, maybe that's when attitudes will change. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you're talking about employers. Uh, Disney World re-instituted uh, uh, a mask mandate. Uh, they obviously think it's the right way to go for for their business. So it's not clear that you know things like mask mandates and and uh, employment aren't uh, you know aren't uh, symbiotic here. Uh, you know, the uh, plenty of uh, businesses um, have. Um, been in favor of these uh, in the past. So, and Disney World is a, a pretty big business for Florida. Well, as debate rages about how to respond to the COVID resurgence, Congress is tackling another explosive this issue this week with the first hearing of the January 6th committee in the U.S. House. Florida Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy is on the committee, which heard testimony from U.S. Capitol Police officers Tuesday. Officers uh, gave a a pretty harrowing account about how they feared for their lives as the pro-Trump mob descended on the Capitol. At the same time the hearing was taking place, Florida Congressman Matt Gaetz was holding a press conference with other Republican lawmakers outside the Justice Department building nearby to demand information on members of the mob being held in jail pending prosecution. Republican lawmakers described these individuals as political prisoners. Florida has more people arrested for storming the Capitol on January 6th than any other state. Antonio, is the split screen yesterday of the January 6th committee meeting while GOP lawmakers protested down the street a pretty good encapsulation of how this uh, attack on the Capitol has become just another partisan battle line? Yeah, pretty much. Look, we've seen lots of partisan fights before. In fact, every issue these days is this partisan grudge match, sort of what John was referring earlier to these uh, UFC cage fights. But uh You know, just think of the discussion we just had on COVID protection measures, whether it's a mask or a vaccine. But this fight over the January 6th U.S. Capitol insurrection may well be, in fact, I would argue it is the most disturbing of all. Put aside the political gaslighting here, and what you have is a violent insurrection. 
And as I said last week in the numbers segment, this was an attempted coup. The goal was to stop the counting of electoral votes and to basically move on to a peaceful transfer of power. That, that was the objective here. Um, and it was all driven by basis allegations of election fraud. Allegations that, by the way, were presented to state and federal courts across this country and judges, including many judges appointed by former President Trump, dismissed these things as laughable. And in fact, one of the lawyers making the claims for, for the, on behalf of the Trump legal team later said that in, when she got sued, they later claimed that, well, no one in their right mind would have been believing what she said and what they were arguing. Look, in the aftermath of this insurrection, five people were dead and more than 100 Capitol and D.C. police officers were injured, the majority with serious injuries that they are still struggling with. If there is anything we should all agree on, is that what happened on January 6th was treason and an act of domestic terrorism as some of the Capitol uh, police officers testified this week. And yet there is a concerted effort to sweep it under the rug. Nothing to see here, guys. The split screen that you just referred to was just the latest sample of what really is a profound crack in American civil society, you know, which, which makes the San Andreas fault line look like a scratch on the surface. And what is all the more dismaying is that the divide wasn't there in the early morning hours of January 7th when the Senate and the House reconvened to actually count the votes and to certify the election. Other than a couple of you know, outliers, fringes out there, there was consensus the attack on the Capitol was a condemnable act. Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, Kevin McCarthy, and so many others said so. Now, well, they don't seem to think it was so bad. And it's hard to see how America can heal itself without coming to terms with January 6th and coming to, con coming to a consensus on why it was an assault on American democracy. That's why this partisanship is so much more destructive and this investigation on Capitol Hill is so much more important. The problem is that January 6th can't just become a partisan battle because it represents so much more. This is not just a debate on another issue like money for bridges or a trade treaty or a change in the tax code. It's about our commitment to democracy and the U.S. Constitution. Do you believe in our constitutional democracy or not? That's what this is about. Yeah, and and uh, it's been uh, especially salient here in Florida, where we've had uh, so many people who have who went up to the Capitol and uh, are now uh, facing charges. And uh, it's very interesting uh, to see the the GOP uh, backlash here and the way that the narrative has changed with with some of these lawmakers, like Matt Gates, um, describing these individuals as political uh, prisoners. So there's quite a number of individuals who. Uh, assaulted police officers, including a bunch of people uh, from Florida. So there's some some pretty serious charges that some of these folks are facing. Well, there was also more information that came out over the last week in the criminal case against former Miami State Senator Frank Artiles, a case that is being closely watched in political circles across Florida because of how it peels back the curtain on some of the dirty tricks that have been used to win campaigns here in Florida. Artilis is accused of paying a candidate to run as a third party spoiler in a key state Senate race. Documents released over the last week show how a prominent GOP consulting firm that works for Republican Senate leadership had Artilis on the payroll. John, why is this case so intriguing and what do we know so far? Yeah, it's a complicated one, but it has some uh, pretty broad uh, potential tentacles here. It's uh, suggesting a, a pattern of behavior by leading Republicans that contributes to uh, how the party has maintained its grip on power in Tallahassee. 
Uh, and it's also timely because we are about to begin another round of redistricting at the uh, Florida Capitol, which uh, a decade ago, uh, that process really helped plant the seeds for the, the scandal that's now brewing. Um, the, uh, the investigation underway by the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office uh, is into election fraud that helped uh, Republicans win a state Senate seat last year in Miami by putting up a, a third candidate, an independent with the same name as the Democratic incumbent to, to basically skim votes away from the Democrat and, uh, you know, confuse voters. Uh, what's, what's new, uh, according to documents, is that Frank Artilles, a, a former senator himself, was paid uh, $90,000 by Republican campaign consultant Pat Bainter to work on state legislative campaign assignments, uh, unspecified as to what they were going to be. But it was Artilles who uh, records show uh, uh, recruited the independent candidate and got him positioned to run. Now, now uh, Pat Bainter is the intriguing figure in this. Uh, while the, the Miami race had this ghost candidate, uh, another Senate race won by a Republican. That's uh, Central Florida's Jason Broder. Uh, that also featured an independent third candidate who did no campaigning, uh, you know, another mystery kind of uh, figure on the ballot. Uh, but uh, combined, these victories uh, helped Republicans increase their command of the Florida Senate. So Broder was elected in sort of similar fashion where a third party candidate took votes away, it's perceived, from Democrats. Um uh, but but Bainter is the guy to watch here, I think. He's a consultant who figured deeply in Republican redistricting efforts in 2012. And uh, he has a history that suggests a familiarity with recruiting a nobody candidate to skim votes. Uh, uh, Bainter and his uh, Gainesville-based data targeting firm were tied to a uh, 2018 state Senate race where Republican Keith Perry yeah, he, he narrowly defeated a Democrat again with a third party nobody in the race who uh, drew secretive dark money financing and he got help from a official with data targeting um, Boehner's firm. And uh, Boehner has done work for most of the Republicans in the Florida Senate. And in 2014, he, he fought to keep hundreds of pages of emails, maps, and other documents from being allowed as evidence in a congressional redistricting trial in Florida that were eventually reviewed only in private by the judge. So we reporters never really saw what they included or what they said. And uh, But, you know, Florida's last round of redistricting was ultimately labeled a, a mockery by that judge. And uh, the state Supreme Court eventually drew the congressional maps and a state court crafted the, uh, the state Senate boundaries. And those Senate boundaries that ultimately emerged were considered to be relatively favorable to Democrats. While the party had a six seat disadvantage before the map was put in place in 2016, that margin dwindled to only a three-seat lead for Republicans by 2018. But thanks to last fall's victories in the third-party races, well, in, in those races with the third-party candidates, uh, Republicans are back up to a, a four-seat lead now in the Florida Senate. Um, so, you know, back to Bainter. Uh, Bainter is a uh, sort of a Svengali behind the scenes for Republicans. And now as redistricting map makings is soon to begin again, you wonder, you know, he is 
increasingly under the microscope of prosecutors, you assume. And you also have to wonder whether he and data targeting will be able to play a behind the scenes role in the new redistricting round, which, uh, you know, is expected to at least partially begin during September committee hearings in, in Tallahassee. Um, or will, will Boehner be seen as too toxic, you know, even by Republicans who have historically welcomed his help? and uh, maybe even his ghost candidates. Yeah, and from the, the higher level view here is basically what happened is, uh, you know, the, the redistricting uh, from the last cycle made these Senate seats more competitive, right? And, and these tactics that have been used have tried to uh, get a tactical advantage, basically, uh, in some of these competitive seats. And it looks like in at least this Miami seat, there's there, you know, Artillis is being accused of of criminal behavior to get um, right. a, ta- a tactical advantage. But but basically, this comes down to these seats were were have become more competitive, and there's there's some dirty tricks going on here to try and uh, to win them. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, at this point, while the focus has been on the Artillis uh, seat. Uh, there are questions because of similar tactics in play, uh, whether Broder also, uh, you know, was a, a candidate that was unfairly advantaged in this race by having a, a third party no name in the race. And, uh, and again, uh, w- with Bainter's, uh, uh, you know, experience, you wonder, does it go back to him? Because right. he's, he's, he's used this tactic, uh, in 2018 in a, uh, in a previous Senate race that, you know, that drew attention at that time, but nobody has drilled into it the way the Artillis case is uh, sort of exposing some of the uh, potential criminal behavior, as we pointed out on on Artillis part. And Bainter is employed by the Republican Senate leadership. So, uh, the, you know, there's, uh, I mean, nobody has, uh, you know, had any explicit link between what happened in this Miami Senate race and the Republican Senate leadership, but Bainter is is sort of the the middleman here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So far, this case has not been tied or, or directly to uh, you know the Republican Senate campaign committee or anything like that, where they were trying to win uh, influence in the Florida Senate. I know uh, you know the and and the Florida Republican Party chair uh, Joe Gruders. Uh, who we've talked about a lot on this uh, show, uh, he too has denied any uh, knowledge of this going on. But um, but so yeah. has Wilton Simpson. And so has Wilton Senate Simpson, president, right? president. Right. Yeah, that this was not. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, well, we'll have to see where these documents lead us, I guess. And uh, it's a question as to maybe as well, how far does the Miami-Dade state attorney want to go with this case? Uh, it, it It does look like it could sort of, open up a, a, a can here on uh, on uh, the Florida Republican Party. A lot of people are probably watching this closely and, and seeing how much of a fallout there will be and uh, how high it will go. Well, we'll move on to our, our numbers here. Antonio, you had a 43. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, gentlemen, uh, 43 is the number of Tampa Bay Buccaneers players that went to the White House this month to celebrate uh, the team's Super Bowl 55 victory. Now, you may say, Antonio, this is a politics podcast, so why are you talking about football? Well, first of all, because it's football, but also because these days, White House NFL visits visits get very political. And in fact, the Buccaneers visit was the first by a Super Bowl championship team since 2017. Uh, Previous winners like the 2018 Philadelphia Eagles and the 2020 Kansas City Chiefs boycotted their invitations and their visits to protest former Donald 
President Donald Trump's uh, policies and statements. Now, sure enough, the Bucks visit this month sparked lots of political punditry because of one particular buccaneer and particularly what that buccaneer said, specifically uh, quarterback Tom Brady's jokes, which were correctly interpreted as digs at Trump. That was a bit of a surprise as Brady was a former golf buddy of Trump's and, and he displayed that MAGA hat in his locker room way back in 2016. Now, look, I, I don't know Brady. And as a Miami Dolphins fan, I'd rather not hear his name again. But I will say I can't wait to see what reaction Brady gets this season at home games in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. You know, if he were with the new, still with the New England Patriots, I wouldn't think twice because, you know, Massachusetts is your typical deep blue state and, and taking shots at, shots at Trump probably would be popular there. But Florida is a red state and not just a red state, but as we have said, the Trumpiest state in the country. Trump and his family live here and they have attracted plenty of MAGA nation celebrities. Let's call them MAGA celebrities, like Mike Flynn, the Proud Boys leader and others, you know, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, their region is Southwest Florida, Zach, where you're at, which happens to be one of the deep red regions of the state. So when it comes to jokes at Trump's expense, you know, MAGA nation doesn't find that a laughing matter. So it'll be interesting to see what, what reaction uh, Tom Terrific gets when he takes the field this uh, this fall. Yeah, you know, that one had to hurt for Trump. He uh, he worships Brady. So that was that was a pretty um, uh, fascinating comment. Uh, John, you had a five. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, Zach, uh, five is uh, or are uh, the number of Florida counties that state rep uh, Anthony Sabatini once audited for possible election wrongdoing in a letter that he sent to the Florida Secretary of State this week. Uh, he was turned down a couple of days later by Secretary Laura Lee, who said uh, that she was confident in the integrity of the election. But uh, the five counties that Sabatini wanted audited are all heavy uh, Democratic counties, uh, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, Hillsborough, and Orange. But uh, Sabatini is a, a Lake County Republican who is running for Congress next year and is a uh, complete Trump follower. And uh, in, in this case, he didn't cite any evidence of possible wrongdoing other than to point out what he called uh, disturbing revelations in those Trump-fueled uh, audits that were conducted in Arizona and Georgia. So, um, you know, we, we all know Florida went big for Trump, but these five counties were carried by Biden. But the uh, the larger issue of this, uh, you know, clearly a grandstanding event by Sabatini is that it seems to be a microcosm of how at least some Republicans feel they may need to run their campaigns next year. You know, toady up to the Trump voters every chance you get, no matter how wacky or disconnected the topic. Uh, Sabatini is one of uh, nine QAnon or QAnon adjacent, as the term goes, congressional candidates in Florida that are running next year. That's the biggest total of any state, according to Media Matters for America, which is a, a progressive leaning organization, which uh, claims there are 41 such candidates, Q candidates around the country. Uh, Florida, sure, you know, we're, we're number one when it comes to the most contenders who follow QAnon, the, uh, the conspiracy driven anonymous figure who's basically sees the deep state as having done everything it could to undermine President Trump. Um, but of the of that Florida nine, uh, Sabatini is arguably the only one who 
might actually be a formidable candidate. He's uh, he's going to run in a Central Florida district next year. Maybe not quite clear yet which one, since redistricting will uh, shape how these uh, seats look and uh, where he may land. But while, uh, you know, we, we've got Marjorie Taylor Greene in neighboring Georgia, uh, Sabatini looks like he's vying to be the, the next darling of an arch-right constituency in Florida. Um, he, he's, he's spoken out at anti-vaccination rallies earlier this year. He sued Lake County over its mask requirements. And uh, again, this week, he's asking DeSantis to call a special session of the legislature to ban vaccine and mask mandates which are you know, cropping up now in Florida, and we're seeing it at the, the federal government level when it comes to some of the, uh, the requirements coming out of the Biden administration for uh, federal employees. Um, anyway, the Sabatini's targeting of five Democratic-leaning counties in his unsuccessful push for audits in a state where his hero, Trump, you know, easily won, uh, it shows that he's got his finger on the pulse of those who believe in Alternative universes, I guess. Uh, will he be the kind of candidate, though, that you know ultimately becomes the face of the Republican Party in next year's congressional races? Is this the kind of uh, tactic that you need to do to win uh, at least a Republican primary now? Well, he certainly seems to be attracting a lot of attention, that's for sure. Yeah. My number is 52, as in 52% of Florida voters approve of the job Governor Ron DeSantis is doing when it comes to the pandemic. Anytime a majority of voters support what you're doing, that's a good sign. And it indicates that despite the controversy surrounding the governor's resistance to things like mass mandates, his overall approach appears to be resonating with many people. However, it's also worth pointing out that President Joe Biden scores even higher in that University of South Florida poll when it comes to his pandemic response with nearly 60 percent of voters approving of Biden's approach. The president hasn't implemented any federal mandates, but he has sounded a much more cautious message than DeSantis and has done more to urge people to get vaccinated and do things like wear a mask when appropriate. When you look at this poll, though, DeSantis scores better than Biden when it comes to his approval rating on economic issues, with nearly 60 percent of Florida voters giving the governor good marks for his handling of the economy, while Biden's approval rating on the economy is 53 percent. Overall, the numbers seem to indicate that people are glad businesses are open and the economy is coming back to life, something DeSantis has been at the forefront of pushing. But right now, it does appear that Biden's overall approach to the pandemic is more popular among Florida voters than the governor. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. And thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.